Thank you all for being here with us. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor. It's so great to be able to worship with you all and singing as well, praying for our um, church members and uh, as well for those persecuted Christians around the world um, who do not get to worship freely like we do today. I know a lot of people are traveling or will be this week, um, and so thank you for being here. For those joining us online, we welcome you as well. Um, today we're finishing up our uh, Philippian series, Unhindered, and so you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment, um, beginning in verse 10. Um, I'm in the CSB, so if you have the Version Bible app, you can follow along with me word for word, and that way it'll also be on the screen and in the outline that we handed out to you um, this morning. And so Philippians chapter 4. Uh, before we get there, um, I want to kind of look at, and we're not going to turn there, but in Philippians, I mean in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us that the body of Christ, the church, um, is like a body. It is like, uh, and, and he references it as being the body of Christ. And just like a body has many parts, um, so the church is made up of many parts um, that together it is vital that those parts work together so that we can function and flourish the way that God intends for this body to flourish and to function. Um, he said that the church is designed in such a way in that chapter that there would be no divisions among us and that we would all have the same concern for one another. So before we get to the scripture, I want you to write down this overarching truth today, and it's this. The church is a global partnership helping the gospel flourish. The church is a global partnership helping the gospel flourish. We need each other. We need each other within the walls of this church, within this local gathering of believers. But we also need those who make up the global church. Not only do we need them and uh, we need one another, but it's not just about us being one single church, but they need us as well. We strengthen one another. We help one another. We encourage one another. We help one another function and flourish. And so if the entire global church does not function together and does not work together as God intended it, then, and I posted this yesterday, then we're nothing more than a disabled body. Because the Bible says that we're one body made up of many different parts. And I've said this before, we would be foolish to believe that we have all of the parts in just this one gathering of uh, believers. We need one another. We need each other locally and we need each other globally. And it's vital that we partner together in the gospel work. So look at verse 10 as we kick things off here in Philippians chapter 4. He says this, Paul is writing once again to the church at Philippi, and he's getting ready to close this letter out. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. So one more thing you can write down is this, the church must partner together in tangible ways. And so we are a global partnership helping the gospel flourish. And one of the ways that we partner together as a body and as a global gathering of believers is together in tangible ways. The church at Philippi had at one time partnered with Paul in his ministry. And at some, for some reason, in some season, that partnership in tangible ways, helping with his needs, helping him in his hardship, ceased at some point. 
We don't know why. The scripture doesn't tell us. But here, Paul is telling us that he's rejoicing in the Lord once again because they have renewed their care for him. So we know that if they're renewing their care, that at some point that care had ceased. Now, Paul doesn't rebuke them for ceasing their care and for um, pausing their partnership for a season. Um, Epaphroditus had brought this message back. If you remember from chapter one, and if you are just joining us today, you can go back online and we have all of these um, sermons on there from this series. And we saw that Epaphroditus had gone to the church at Philippi to encourage them, but also as he brought a message back to Paul, it encouraged him to hear how the church was doing. And so here Paul, for a season, is feeling like maybe he's alone, maybe he's been forgotten, maybe um, they just cut off their support. He's not sure what's going on. I mean, back in this day, you couldn't just pull out a phone and send a text message or an email and find out what's happening. He's just left to kind of assume what's taking place. But Epaphroditus has come back and tells him and encourages him that this entire time, that even in this moment that they had to pause their partnership, they still had their concern for him. They still cared for him this entire time. And so there was some reason, maybe their own persecution, maybe their own struggles, but for some reason this partnership had paused but Paul did not rebuke them. Instead, Paul tells them um, he is gracious to them. He's understanding about their situation. And instead of rebuking them, he rejoices with them that they've now renewed this care. So we see this tangible partnership that they are participating in while Paul is going through these hardships, as he is in prison and as he is being tortured and dealing with all the difficulties of the ministry that he has been called into. And so then in verse 11 through 13, it says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I, ha- I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul here is, um, he's not trying to manipulate them based on his hardship or his difficulties. He's not trying to put them under a guilt trip. He's just simply letting them know that their absence taught him a lesson. See, oftentimes when we go through a difficulty, or maybe someone has abandoned us, or maybe in our own mind, we talked about last week about how our mind works and how we can get focused on certain things and we can believe things that might not be true and how we have to put them to a test to see if what we're thinking in our mind is true, if it's reliable, if it's excellent, if it's worthy of praise. And so in this moment, he could have gotten down on himself. He could have gotten upset with the church. He could have let his mind wander as to why their partnership had ceased. But instead, he says, first, he rejoiced that they had renewed their care. But then he's telling them that in the midst of their pausing of their partnership, in the midst of their absence in his hardship, God used that in his life to teach him a valuable lesson, and that was to be content in whatever circumstances he found himself in. He says, I've learned to be content in all things, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm well-fed. Whether I have a surplus of resources or whether I have nothing, in all circumstances, I have learned to be content. So even in his difficulty and his hardship, 
of being in prison and facing torture, and then having this support that was once coming to him to help him in his hardship, to have that go away, instead of letting that wreck his attitude, instead of letting that um, disrupt his faith and and cause him to um, lose focus on what was the most important thing in this moment, that was the ministry that God had called him to and the advancement of the gospel, he says, instead of letting that disrupt him, he chose to allow that to benefit him in a way that every one of us could learn from, to be content in all things. Instead of complaining, instead of getting negative, instead of make, having a pity party, making it all about ourselves, to learn to be content whether we're hungry or whether we're well-fed. Whether we have lack, we have nothing, or whether we have everything. That no matter if we're on the hilltop, as they say, or if we're in the valley, it's an old school kind of terminology. You know, all things are going well. We're on the mountaintop. Everything's going good. That's easy to be content then. Sure, I'm content. I've got all my needs met. Everything's going well. My family's healthy. My, my wife and I are getting along. Like the job's going well. I just got a bonus and a promotion. Like those are the times it's easy for us to be content. But it's when we lose the job. It's when things are falling apart at home. It's when there uh, isn't maybe enough food in the, in the kitchen and you don't know what you're going to do. That's when it's difficult to be content. And yet Paul says he learned to be content in all situations, all circumstances. And then he says this famous passage of scripture in verse 13. I am able to do all things through him. Or some versions say, I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As you can see, this isn't some magical hocus pocus verse saying that you can defy physical odds in order to achieve your personal uh, dreams and pursuits and uh, achieve a certain success in your life. He's writing this from prison. He's writing this from a place of torture and hardship and difficulty. And what he's telling us here and what he's writing to the church at Philippi is in his contentment, Christ gave him strength to be content in his needs. That as he faces torture and persecution, that Christ strengthens him to endure that. That that Christ gives him the strength to endure starvation, even when he doesn't have enough food. That Christ gives him the strength to do all the difficult things required of him to fulfill the gospel work that he was called to do. That's the context of that scripture. It's far um, apart and far different than what we see on bumper stickers or on coffee mugs and, and how we like to apply that scripture. What this is given to us in the context is, is that he can be content and he can endure even if it is being starved, even if it's being um, tortured, even if it's going through difficulties. And I wonder if we can say the same as the church and as followers of Jesus, that we can not only be content, but that Christ is such a treasure to us that he is all that we need and that he is the one that we turn to for strength when we face those difficulties. Not another person outside of our marriage, not a substance, not any other thing in the world that we feel like will give us some kind of satisfaction or fulfillment or strength to endure the difficulties to cope with the, the sadness or the brokenness, 
but that we turn to Christ and Christ alone because he is the one that can give us strength to go about the work that he has called us to, to be about, to, 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 to fulfill the gospel that he has called us to make as a central part of our life. Is Christ your strength to fulfill that gospel work? Is he that treasure that you value above all else in this life? Philippians 4.14, he goes on and he says, Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. He, he hasn't rebuked them. He's not criticized them. He's telling them that even though they were absent in partnering and supporting him, that that worked for his good and to his benefit. And he grew from that and he learned from that contentment. And that Christ could be his strength even in his weakness. We see that in other parts of the scriptures where he says, when I am weak, he is strong. And so we see the benefit of this. But then he says, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. Still, it is better that we, even though I'm content, and even though Christ has strengthened me, it is still better that you partnered with me. It is still better when we as the church partner together to see the gospel flourish, to support our missionaries, to support church plants, to support the work that God has called us to be about. It's not God's intention for um, uh, his servants, for those who have given their life for the gospel to lack anything. We see this in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. See, Paul chose not to put a burden on these churches that he helped start by taking a paycheck or receiving some kind of pay or, uh, from them. But even in his ministry and even in his difficulty, you would think that these churches um, would partner with him because it would be vital for him to meet his needs. He was a tent maker. He, he did work outside of his ministry to support himself. But then he had needs. He, then he goes through difficulties and hardships. And it, was, it, it would have been a benefit and it would have been better for him to have had churches to come along to help him in those hardships. And so we see this, that God does not intend for his servants to go lacking for those who are giving their life for the gospel. So who does he use to meet those needs? He, meet, he, he uses you. He uses the church. He uses the followers of Jesus to partner together, not just locally, but globally, to help meet those needs. God equips us to meet the needs of those who have given their life for the sake of the gospel. The, the church is not a business, so it doesn't sell things and produce things and go about various services producing money. It comes down to the generosity of the people who make up the church to help bring in the resources and to help it flourish and function. The church is a global partnership. And so just like this local church needs you, the global church needs you. Just like the leaders in this church who are reliant on your generosity to support our own families need you. So do missionaries who are on the mission field who rely on the church to partner together to help support their needs. God equips us in order to partner together for those purposes. 
And then in verse 15 and 16, he says, And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. You can write this down. The church must partner in financial ways, not just tangible ways. Tangible ways are those things that we can touch, we can feel, those felt needs. It could be food for someone who's hungry. It could be clothes for someone who is naked or someone who is cold and needing a jacket or something along those lines. Those are the tangible needs, the physical needs. But then we are called to partner in financial ways. And we see this through the, the, the local church and we see this through the scriptures. Despite Paul's spiritual investment, not only in these people, but also in the life of these New Testament churches that he helped start, the church at Philippi, he says, was the only church in the early days of his ministry to support him. So despite all that he had done for these churches and helping them get started and helping them flourish and helping establish elders and leaders for them and training them and teaching them the scriptures, all of this work that had gone into what they were doing, and yet only one church supported him. I wonder how much easier it would have been for him to have his needs met, to, to maybe even be more effective in the work that he was doing if more churches came alongside and said, you know what, we're a global partner. It's our responsibility. God has equipped us to help the gospel flourish. God has helped, equipped us to help meet the needs of people like Paul and Peter and the other apostles. God has equipped us to help this gospel advance and go throughout all of the different lands that maybe we physically can't go because we've got to work. We, we've got to tend to the family, but we can send someone else in our stead. We can send someone else in our place because we can't physically go, but God has equipped us and he's resourced us in order to partner together because we can accomplish more together. And so in the early days, there was just one and yet the church at Philippi was so faithful in collecting gifts, finances, and other tangible resources and sending them to Paul. And so you can see what a burden that would have been for this church to have withdrawn their support for a season, to have pulled back for a season because they were so vital in his ministry. I know what this lack is like. I've shared with you many times. We started this church with 37 people. Five of those were my own family. And then the other half of that were children. So out of the adults that we had, the 21 adults, you got to take a handful of those just to watch the children. And so we didn't have a lot. I've told you that uh, I would stand at the door of the school that we started in and I had to stop because it was like, it's not up to you because I would stand there. And after the third Sunday, when four people from the community showed up outside of our team, I was like, I got one more Sunday and I'm, uh, this, I'm, I'm killing this thing. Like, I'm killing it. Not like I'm killing it, like I'm going to end it, but like, I'm going to kill it. Because we went from, you know, 109 our first week because friends, family come and support you. 107 the next week because friends and family who couldn't be there the first week come and support you to four people the next week. And you're like, wow, this is not going as good as I imagined. <laughs> they say it takes 100. 
2,500, maybe even more, I don't even know, today to start a church, to, to, to support the work, to pay a lease, to support the, the, the different expenses and things like that, we had 15,000. And five of that was a loan from a home church that we had to pay back. So we started in debt. That was our only debt for the longest time. And, and by the grace of God, we paid that back within just a few months based on a, a generous gift of some friends. And so I know this lack. I know the, the need. I know what it's like to have very little. I know what it's like to be blessed with much more even. But the one thing that God taught us early on, because we had very little churches partner with us, we had some talk to us, and then they backed out, or they went and supported other churches that ministry leaders were um, also pushing and supporting. And so we had, uh, obviously, very little support. We had a church that folded up in Atlanta, and you talk about, like, thinking prophetically, okay, is this stuff coming to us, and then we're next? They folded up in Atlanta and just called up and said, hey, we got a bunch of equipment. If you've got a trailer, you can come up and pick it up. And so that's what we did. And then um, once again, third week, four people show up and you go, all right, who are we going to pass this on to? Because we're not going to need it much longer. And thankfully, we were able to pass it on to another local church because we had very, very little support from other churches. And yet in that, just like Paul, we learned to be not only content with little and content with the people that he sent our way, but also to be good stewards of the resources that he gave us. And so since very early on, our heart has been to partner with other churches in tangible and in financial ways. We have over the years, even early on, when we didn't need that equipment, when we didn't need a soundboard anymore that had been, that we uh, paid, uh, overpaid for, and someone else gave us a better soundboard, and we no longer needed this soundboard when there was a, another church planter with a small church who needed equipment, who were, it was in our same position, no churches supporting them, no finances. We loaded down his little four-door sedan. I don't know if it was a Corolla or what, with chairs, sound equipment, everything we were no longer using because we had grown just a little bit. And over the years, we've had the opportunity to give away because we don't sell it to other churches. One time we had to sell some equipment because it was brand new and it was installed at our former starter home building and they asked us to buy it. Other than that, we were planning to give them a lot of it that we could afford to give. And yet God blessed that. But we have had the privilege of giving away thousands of dollars worth of equipment as well as finances to help small new startup church plants. In North Augusta right now at our other facility, we have a new church plant using that facility to get their start. God has put us in a position not only to learn ourselves, but to also take the experience that we had as a church having very little tangible resources and having very little financial resources to be able to partner with the global church. See, because it's not all about new passion. And you know we say that a lot. It's not about us as a church. We are better together with other churches. We are stronger together with other churches. We are more effective together with other churches. This is why we partner with churches with opportunities like Change for Churches, like you almost saw the video for again. Because together, 
joined together, we are stronger and we can be more effective. We can plant more churches. We can see more accomplished for the kingdom of God, no matter whose name is on it. It doesn't matter that it has New Passion's name on it. We're one part of the body of Christ. The name that matters is Christ's name, the name of Jesus, because it's at his name every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, not at the name of New Passion, not at the name of any other church, but at the name of Jesus. And that's what we unify around. And yet that's your heart. You've adopted that heart for churches and for pastors. Last year we got to do it. This year we sent out a few less than what we did last year. But we mailed out some cards encouraging pastors, letting them know we're praying for them. And my list is much larger than the list I gave you. I just asked you to pray for about 28 pastors. Some of those are local. Some of them are outside of our area. And this week we mailed those out and some of them have already started to get them. One pastor sent me a, a message and showed me his card from last year and said, um, I have pulled this card out. I can't tell you how many times when I was going through something difficult this past year, um, some difficulty or whatever, just to get some encouragement. And then to have another card this year. I got a message this morning from a pastor, a text that received his car, I guess it was sitting on his desk from this, when he got it this week, opened it up, took a picture of it and said, I've been dealing with some, uh, some basically not depression, but just some discouragement this week. And he said, to get this meant so much to me, to know that there's a whole nother church that does not know him, praying for him. You did that. You're doing that because you've made that commitment it's not about new passion. It's about the global church. And it is because this is our heart and the evidence of our ministry. We've been asked to do something completely outside of the box. And you're going to be the first to hear this. I have a little announcement to, to make. We've been asked... What's that? What? The reason he no, that's a, yeah, that's April Fool's. That went bad. Um, <laughs> whew, I did not expect that thing to travel that far. Man, I'm surprised I didn't have a reporter calling me for an interview on that one. Oh, uh, wow. That, yeah, that was a good one. You talk about an April Fool's joke. Wow. Whew. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I did. Um, we have been asked to consider joining um, a family of churches known by the name of Hope Church. You know that name because we uh, are, have shared the video. Um, I've spoken at several different things for them. Um, Hope Church is a family of churches, of autonomous, self-governing churches just like us, um, that are joined together for these purposes. One, planting and revitalizing churches. Um, they take a lot of churches that are um, dying down to about 10, 12 people, much like we have done with North Augusta and um, other situations, um, and they replant them. They, they breathe new life into them, put a pastor in them, and, and see new life. And a lot of these churches are growing and seeing great health and great things. They also partner together to enhance the ministry of the local church by doing things together that they would not be able to, smaller churches would not be able to do on their own. 
things like marriage retreats and youth camps and uh, men and women conferences and leadership training and um, elder uh, encouragement, pastor encouragement, and all these different things uh, like that. As well, they partner together for spiritual accountability and brotherhood among the pastors and elders and other spiritual leaders. Um, there are currently 13 Hope churches throughout the Southeast. That's about the, the, uh, as far as they've gone, one in Georgia. The, most of them are in North Carolina and Virginia and kind of up in that area. And so five of those are brand new church plants just last year. I told you last week they planted five new churches. Some of those were traditional brand new church plants like the one in Georgia. Um, Hope Church Catusa, right outside of Ringgold in the Chattanooga area. They planted with um, almost... Uh, 300 people. Their first service was almost 300 people, and they're holding steady with like 280 plus people. Already at two services, just booming. God's blessing them tremendously. That was a traditional church plant. The other four um, were more replants, taking a, a body of people and replanting them. But it cost a tune of to, it was at a tune of about four hundred thousand dollars to do that. Cost money to plant a church. Cost money to, 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 to function and to flourish properly. And so out of that, um, new passion is healthy and strong. We don't need replanting. We don't need revitalizing. We are doing well. We're growing. Um, today is a great service for uh, to the beginning of uh, spring break. I know several people are already traveling, but we've been seeing God bless in tremendous ways. Our finances are healthy. They're doing well this year. We're seeing great things. We do not need replanting or revitalizing, but we do have experience with planting a church out of nothing. We do have experience with merging with three different churches. We do have experience with helping to maintain and grow a healthy church for more than 10 years. No other church other than the, the, the original Hope Church in Danville has that experience. They're about 30 years old. And so it's because we are healthy and strong and because our heart and mission align perfectly with them that we've been asked to join together with them. Why? Because we're better together. We're stronger together. We're not merging with them. We're not um, being acquired by them. They're local self-governing, autonomous churches. But our partnership would help all of us, all what would be 14 churches, but 13 at the time, all of us to function and flourish in a healthy, prosperous way so that the gospel can go further and do more working together than apart. And so what would we have to lose? Y'all ready for this? A name. What would we as a church have to die to? A name. Remember how Paul said he counted all things as dung, as waste, so that he might know Christ more and, and share in the fellowship of his suffering? What would we have to consider dung in order for others to know Christ more intimately and to share in, the, in, the, um, suff in his sufferings, the fellowship of his sufferings? A name. Because a majority of everything that we're doing other than maybe some branding of this thing or that thing, would stay the same. Self-governing, autonomous church, but we would have to die to a name. But what do we gain? We gain a larger family of churches to do ministry with, 
for things like marriage retreats, youth camps, all of those type things that we can't necessarily do on our own. The way they do a marriage retreat in Myrtle Beach every year, it would t- cost us a lot more money than what they're able to do it because they join together with a multitude of churches, bring in a speaker and various different things, and they do it top notch. They're able to do those things, gathering together things that smaller churches would not be able to do on their own. We would be able to benefit them in that because we are considered a larger church than most of their church plants. We would gain a larger family of churches to partner with to plant new churches and revitalize struggling churches to keep their doors open. That's our heart. We've done it three times. And we intend to continue having that heart and to continue in that way, regardless of who is, what name is on our facility, because that's our heart. I'm also now at a stage in my ministry that um, God has invested a lot in me. Yes, I'm 42. When I told our elders that, I heard a few snickering because they're older than that. And 42 to them is not old. To some of y'all, 42 is old, like you, 42 is old. But I grew up in church. My dad is a pastor. I've been a preacher's kid. I, I, I was serving in ministry as young as a preteen, going to migrant fields, sharing the gospel with um, migrant workers. I couldn't speak Spanish, but I could um, speak English and I could talk to those who spoke English. And I would go share the gospel with them um, in South Georgia and various different places around the state. Um, I, uh, as a teenager, we were teen-led. I've told you, we had about five to seven teenagers, and we sat around and we said, hey, are we going to reach our friends? Are we going to just have our group of five to seven? And without a leader, we grew our student ministry to over 40 kids ourselves without a designated leader. In time, we had one kind of come in, but we were already reaching our friends because we didn't want to sit back and not uh, see them, you know, without Christ. And so God has put a lot into me. And so my ministry has changed in a way that now church planters and those going through revitalization, those struggling to manage a church, now call me to, to, to ask advice, to ask how we managed a merger and how we dealt with this or how we've overcome this. And I don't intend, when I go to my grave at whatever point that is, to take that stuff with me. And so this provides an opportunity for new church pastors and planters to be able to pour into them experience that God has poured into me, but also to many of you, because you've been right there with me. It would do a disservice to our church to act like it's all been me. I'm not out greeting. You all are doing that. I'm not out um, working the tech. You all are doing that. I'm not, you know, doing the, the children's ministry or the youth ministry. You all are doing that. And so there's much that you can help pour into and invest in other ministries as well. And then we gain a larger family to help us be stronger because we're, we haven't arrived. There's still stuff we can learn. There's still stuff that we can grow from to become more effective. And so because our church as we know it is largely going to stay the same and will be an autonomous, self-governing church, our elders have agreed to not only pray about it, but we met with the Hope Church leadership. And basically, contingent upon our, them accepting our um, few adjustments to their bylaws to provide some extra strengths for all of the churches, but especially ours, things that we have in our bylaws, um, we feel that this is something worth presenting to you 
as our church and worth pursuing as a church. Now, the way we're set up and governed, you would make that call. You, you would give that say. We're not dictating this and saying this is happening, but we do see the benefit of it. We do believe that it is the right direction contingent upon those few things. Even our membership covenant is the same. When I saw there, when y'all sign a membership covenant and it, you know, for ownership, what we call our members, um, I looked at theirs, it's identical. I was like, who did y'all steal this from? It looks like we stole it from the same people. Because when you're starting and you have nothing, you start looking to learn from other people. It is identical word for word. That's how closely we align. And so instead of owners, they refer to themselves as covenant partners, which I love because the church is a partnership. We need everyone working together to see the gospel flourish, to see the church to function properly, both financially and tangibly. Paul said that he wasn't seeking gifts from them. He wanted them to experience the blessings that come from being generous. He said, I want to see you profit in the way that you will profit if you are generous. Because as scripture tells us, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then verse 18 to 20, he goes on and says, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All of Paul's needs were fully supplied because they had renewed their care for him because the church chose to be generous. Church, I don't want us to be in the position that we've been in the, the, the last year or so because of some of the COVID things and some of the stuff that we dealt with where we're having to look at our finances like month to month going, all right, are we going to meet budget? And having, look, in the early days, we, there was one time we were like 20 cent over budget. And it was like, yes, we, we are 20 cent over budget. It was such a great celebration because that was hard. We don't need to be there. We don't have to be there. We're not there. Praise the Lord. We've been meeting budget and exceeding it this year, but we shouldn't have to. There is enough resources in this room to not only meet our needs, but to meet the needs of our uh, mission partners and those in our community that we partner with. When we commit to being a financial partner, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. God receives your generosity as worship. It's a fragrant offering to him. Paul's needs were fully met. He was benefited in his hardship. And that's our heart, that we as a church are not in a hardship. That's why we believe that we might be better together with the other Hope Churches so they're not in hardships. That's why we partner with missionaries like Sheena Rader, who's tuning in right now in Honduras, one of our local missionaries out of this church, so that she has no hardship. That's why we partner with God Behind Bars so that they can do the ministry that God calls them to do in prisons without hardship. So they're not having to look and go, can we do the ministry God has called us to do? Or can we be free 
and be free of that burden to go into the prisons and to share the gospel where there is tremendous things happening. And then I close with verse 21 and 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul tells the church, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I love this. Their partnership in the gospel had allowed the gospel to reach Caesar's own household. Do you know how significant that was? How powerful that was for the gospel to reach Caesar's household in Rome? What if one day someone wrote to us, to New Passion, and they said, all the saints send you greetings. We would say, that's kind of weird. We don't talk like that anymore, but all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Biden's household. Or they wrote, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Trump's household or whatever president is in the office at that time. That your partnership with other churches, with missionaries, reached the very household of the president of the United States and started transforming their lives from within the White House. That's just like the gospel getting to Caesar, the ruler over Rome and over many other lands. Church, are we doing everything we can to be a tangible and financial partner with the global body of Christ for the gospel? Are you doing everything possible to be a tangible and financial partner for the gospel work that the church is called to be about? the global church and the local church? Or are we absent? Are we making those hardships even more difficult? There's three next steps for you today to take as I close to pray. One, it could be that you need to take that next step, that step of faith to become a consistent, sacrificial, financial partner at New Passion. That you look and say, God, has resourced me and equipped me to help the local and the global church function and flourish as we preach and proclaim and live out the gospel. And so I'm going to, I'm going to commit. I'm going to trust God to be a financial partner in this place, knowing the global work that we're a part of and the local work that we're a part of. The second is this. Maybe you commit to hold loosely to the, the, the tangible things, those material blessings that God has given you, willingly using them to meet the tangible needs, not only of the church, but of the community. To say, God's given me these certain blessings, these certain material things, and I'm going to hold loosely to them because if there comes a day that that is needed for the gospel work, it's, it's God's. I'm giving it back to him to be used for a greater purpose and a greater work. And then the third is for all of us. Pray for God's wisdom as we seek the next steps for new passion and our partnership with the Hope Church family. It's not a done deal, but it's something we need to pray about because you'll be the voice on that for our church. 
As I pray, I encourage you, whatever God's speaking to you, whatever he's calling you to today, have that conversation. If there's a commitment you need to make, make that commitment now as I pray. We'll close with a final song and then I'll have a few announcements for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what we have learned out of this journey through Philippians. We thank you that, Lord, we can live with an unhindered faith. We thank you for the example of the Philippian church, but also for Paul, the, the example that he has given us, the, the great truths that we have learned. Father, I pray that we would apply them. Today, as we have discovered, we are called to be tangible and financial partners with your servants, with those going about your work. God, I pray for such a blessing in this place that we would not have to worry, we would not have to ever fret that the resources and the, the finances and that the things that we need are going to be there. That you would bless us in such an abundant way that, Lord, we would have to look far and wide in how we can bless other ministries and other churches as we have been doing our entire ministry, as we've been doing our entire history. God, I thank you. I thank you that you didn't allow us to start so big with so many resources that we miss those small blessings that you gave us along the way. Those lessons that you have taught us in how to be good stewards and how to be content. And so I thank you for that. But Father, I pray that if there's one struggling with that contentment, they're struggling with, Lord, holding loosely to that which you have given them to be a blessing to other people, that you would, your spirit would move in their heart now convict them and help them to see that there is great blessing in being generous. There's a great blessing and even great reward when we partner together with other churches and other ministries for the sake of the gospel. May that be who we're known for. And so God, give us wisdom as we take steps forward in the future. We know that you'll lead us well. We thank you in advance. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You all can stand.